When I was a kid growing up in Jersey, uh, anybody who was a hoot or really funny or something, uh, we'd call them a riot. Ladies and gents, uh, this guy's a riot in more ways than one. Bob Dylan. I've seen love go by my door. It's never been this close before. Never been so easy or so slow. Been shooting in the dark too long. When something's not right, it's wrong. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. This is Pod Dylan, the show that celebrates the work of Bob Dylan, one song at a time. Proud member of the Fire and Water Podcast Network. I'm your host, a freewheeling Rob Kelly. And joining me to talk about You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go from 1975's Blood on the Tracks are two recurring guests from the Pod Dylan stable, Marshall Sidberry. Hi, Marshall. Hey, thanks for having me on again, Rob. <laughs> no problem. And Henry Bernstein. Hi, Henry. Rob, hello. Hello, Marshall. <laughs> nice to meet you. Hey, Henry. Yeah, you too. <laughs> yes, we're combining guests here. Uh, you said we're, I'm really excited to be talking about the song now. Of course, we covered this song on the show like five years ago. Uh, I think it was like around episode 30 or something like that. But 56. I listened to that, it today. <laughs> oh, thank 2018, you. 2018. It right, just turned 2018. <laughs> January of 2018. Wow. Okay. <laughs> thank you, Henry. Um, but you know, with a lot, like it is with a lot of Dylan songs, they change over time. And when I recorded that, this song has always been one of my favorites. It's always been like in my top 10 favorites of all time. But when I recorded it, recorded that episode, the only version I knew of was the version on Blood on the Tracks. I knew that there was an alternate take, but I had never heard that. So I just thought, well, this is all there is to discuss. I mean, there were live versions and stuff. But of course, in their intervening years, there have been the More Blood, More Tracks set, which released... Uh, which had not on it no less than three <laughs> complete alternate takes of the song, plus another version that sort of st- stalls halfway through. And so I felt like, well, you know, th- there's so much more to say about it because we have new information and they just keep unearthing this stuff. So we're here to talk about this song, uh, give it a, a second pass. So let me start with you, uh, Marshall. Uh, where are you on this song as to say, compared to the rest of the songs on Blood of the Blood on the Track? Oh, that is so funny because I was just looking up the Blood on the Tracks track listing because you were saying it was one of your favorites. So I don't know, man. It's um, that's that's probably my favorite album, like ever. So <laughs> I mean, that's hard to stack up against any of those other songs. But I, I just looking at this list, I've always really loved Buckets of Rain, Meet Me in the Morning, Idiot Win, Simple Twist. <laughs> Um, the whole album, then, basically. Uh, yeah, I mean, and then I guess after that, it you know that's those would probably be my top four. So you know, it's probably in the next next few after that out of the ten on the album. Uh, Henry, what about you? Where where does this stack in your sort of Dylan head canon? Well, uh, in two thousand nine, I made uh, my my brother and my and my friend Josh, who the two of them got, them, got me into Dylan. We made like a top 50 Dylan songs, personal list. And this was number 26. That was 2009. So lots happened since then. So it's, it's due to, it's due for a, a refresh, you know, putting, you know, basically all of the, you know, rough and rowdy ways in there. But anyway, um, this is on, this is one of my favorite songs on my favorite album of all time. That includes my favorite song of all time, Tangled Up in Blue. It's my all-time favorite song, Dylan or otherwise. And this is my number one favorite album of all time from any, <laughs> all walks of music. And yeah, I mean, similar to Marshall, 
this definitely cracks my top five, I think, on the album. Like, I would probably go Tangled Up in Blue, Buckets of Rain, Meet Me in the Morning, <clears throat> Shelter. And, you know, I could go either way, depending on how I'm feeling with You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome or Simple <laughs> Twist, you know? But it's, yeah. It's, and, you know, it's so funny. I thought when I, you know, was first, like, being exposed to Dylan and was discovering Dylan, I knew about Tangled Up in Blue, and I knew Shelter from the Storm, and I know sort of other songs that come into pop culture. But when I heard heard the song, I thought I was like, I thought it was like a deep cut, and that, like, you know, Dylan, maybe Dylan fans don't even know about it, that it's like, you know, a really rare song or whatever. But everyone loves this song. Every Dylan fan loves this song, you know, so it's not that special to love that song, maybe. But yeah, it's one of my all time favorites. It's to me, it's just utterly charming. And it's the only song I think on the whole record that doesn't, isn't just seeped with, with misery, <laughs> which is one of the reasons I, I think it's perfect for the record. Uh, now I will say uh, when I first got blown on the tracks, I got it on cassette cause I'm old and uh, on the cassette version of blood on the tracks, I guess because of the song lengths, they flipped the final songs, blood, buckets of rain and side one. And this song ends the album. Whoa. Uh, yeah. Really? Yes. Yes. Damn. Yeah. Uh, so for years, I thought that that's, that was the order. <laughs> and I wow. thought, oh, the song, the album ends on such an up kind of note, even though this is still a sad <laughs> song. And then I bought yeah. the CD and I'm like, oh, wait, what? <laughs> you know, and then I learned <laughs> that on cassette, they did that a lot because the, 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 you know, the limited lengths of how much you could fit on one side, I guess, uh, side one had Idiot Wind on it and Tangled Up in Blue, and they were like, just two, you know, those two songs eat up a lot of space. So they flipped them around. But I got to wonder, if you're Bob Dylan, you're kind of like, hey, guys, it's kind of a big, you know, I put these in order for a reason. Especially on this album, which, you know, and you've, you talked about it on the previous episode, and anytime we've talked about something from this album, the story, there's a story being told very clearly. So, and and, and you know, I think on your on your last episode, you talked about how it like, it really kind of, lightens the mood after the heavy idiot win you know it really kind of picks you up and it's right smack in the middle like because there's more to go and uh you kind of need it right there (laughs) yeah the placement of it is perfect i said after after that you know the nine minutes of just absolute pain and torture of idiot wind as great as that is it's nice to have this thing and it's lightened up and his vocal is so kind of light and airy and you can almost hear the kind of like smile that's kind of again, despite the fact that it's such a sad song. Now uh, this song was originally titled uh, apparently in the Dylan notebook, you're going to make me miss you when you go. And then it was rewritten to lonesome when you go. And it's amazing to me, like even something as small as that changing from miss you to lonesome has, has such benefits. It seems like such a small thing, but to me, lonesome is so much more powerful a term absolutely than miss yeah. you you know yes now i mean so the the song uh continues only says dragon cloud so high above i've only known careless love it's always hit me from below this time around it's more correct right on target so direct you're gonna make me lonesome when you go and again i love the rhyme scheme of that this time around more correct right on target so direct um it's just like so perfectly hun- it's like considering how these other songs are so sprawling you know, we got Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts a couple songs later. And this is so tight. You know, I mean, this thing is like three minutes. I mean, this thing yeah. is just so direct. Uh, there's the word. I'm using the word right there. <laughs> direct. Um, it's right on target. It's, yeah. right, it's right on target. You know, I mean, it's just, it's such a, 
it's the kind of song that even I have no musical abilities whatsoever, but this is the kind of thing that like, this makes me want to pick up a guitar and sing. Cause like this song is just to me so catchy. Now we, I think Marshall, we talked about this on your episode cause you, you are a musician. You've, you've, have you covered Dylan songs either in a, in a professional setting or just for your own entertainment? Oh y- yeah. More for my own entertainment. I've spent a good bit of time, like, going through the different versions of this song on the Dylan Chords website. Mm. Um, it's, and it's given me a new appreciation for the way that he changes up his, his you know, he's, of course, well known for rearranging his songs and doing different versions. But it's uh, looking at this song in particular, preparing for this um, podcast has made me s- Get a, I feel like a little bit of insight into how he does it, sort of. He like kind of keeps the same kind of harmonic structure with different passing chords, and it seems to open up like uh, new melodic ideas for him. But yeah, I mean, that, lots of his songs I've you know played just for for pleasure, not so much covering them in in public or recordings or anything. Right. Right. Okay. Now, yeah, right. I mean, there's it's kind of. Um, it's a really fun song to play. In fact, the last thing I did right before jumping on after I made sure my mic and headphones working was just, I picked up my guitar just to play it. Cause it had been probably years since I played it. And it's a really fun song to play. There's like f- five or six of the songs on blood, blood of the tracks, maybe even more are in sort of like a, a D over E tuning or an open E tuning, which basically means you can sort of play one chord shape up and down the fret and so like you can play shelter from the storm and this song you're gonna make me lonesome of the same way and it's just fun to play and um and up to me is exactly like that too you know as an outtake um and so i guess yeah i mean i've this is like one of the first songs i learned how to play on guitar just because it was kind of easy and but he, there are some interesting things he does in it like um on um on the the bridge on the flowers of the hillside part um it it goes b to e flowers on the hillside blooming crazy crickets talking back and forth in rhyme and then he goes to an f sharp blue river running slow and lazy and it's just like it's this interesting thing that is unexpected you know he's sort of like a lot of times his chords are very predictable but throwing in that um blue river slow and lazy what he does there it kind of takes it in a direction that's uh, a little unexpected. I don't know, Marshall, if you felt that, you know, when you've played it or. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you're talking about when he hits that, that F sharp. Yeah. I mean, I guess one way to think about it, if you're talking about music theory is it's like the five of the five chord. So it's almost like you're going to change keys and go to the, the five chord. Go right. To... Right. Yeah. So yeah, that's, 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 yeah, that's super cool. And we love when Dylan does things that are unexpected. You know, there's all this fun lyrical stuff here and with pretty, you know, straightforward chords. And then when he does something musically different, it makes it more interesting. Yeah. And, and, and to add to that, the unexpected part, like you think it's going to go resolve to the B chord, the five chord, but it doesn't. It goes back down to the A. A and then the B. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. 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 So, so, yeah so it's really interesting. Great. As as guys that know this stuff, and as we've talked about, I don't like. Do you find that it deepens your appreciation of of the work sometimes, or that that you're able to spot? Oh, that's an unusual chord change because I said I don't hear any of that stuff. 
or do you feel that, or is it that you, you, you know, having a peek behind the curtain a little bit, it takes away from it or does it vary from song to song? I mean, I learned how to play guitar from learning Dylan, like from dylancords.info, that website that Marshall mentioned, like, and it totally makes me appreciate it even more. Like I, I want to cry just thinking about it, that like, <laughs> like it's all wrapped up together for me, playing, learning how to play music and, and Bob Dylan. And so yeah, it's like, oh, that's what he did there. Yes, I can do that. Or I can't do that. And I'm going to learn how to do it. And it's not it's not going to sound the same, but it's going to, you know, be a, a cool experience. Yeah, I mean, same for me. I feel like it definitely adds appreciation. But at the same time, sometimes I find myself wondering, like, you know, does it take away some of the mystery of it all? Mm-hmm. Like, now I have mm-hmm. names for all of these things that he's doing before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Just pure appreciation of it without any like, you know, Mm. analytical stuff attached. That's funny because like there's definitely things that are still mysterious musically. Like I, you know, I've tried to go through down just down song by song through all every single album on Dylan Chords. And you can't play some of them on guitar. It just doesn't work. Like you can't play Ballad of a Thin Man on guitar. You can't play I, I put this question out on Dylan Twitter a few days ago, like for guitar players, like are there fun songs to play on guitar from rough and rowdy ways? Cause mostly I found that it's not fun to just sit by myself and play it. So there is some, this sort of like mystery. There's like this, what do you need to play a good Dylan song or to play a Dylan song? Well, kind of thing. Yeah. Have you seen the Blake Mills video? Or oh showed- yeah. Oh yeah. I'm obsessed with those. Yeah. (laughs) But again, those are like the licks, like learning the fun licks. Like if I want to like sing and play and, you know, sing and play together, doesn't exactly work with a lot of those songs. You know what I mean? They're not like folky campfire songs, like the way a lot of his earlier folk stuff is. And certainly most of the bulk of the bulk of blood on the tracks, you can play on acoustic guitar and it's great. Now, Marshall, you mentioned the, you know, the alternate versions on Dylan chords and stuff. And that's part, that's really the main reason why we're doing this is because, like I said, I did not know that there were alternate versions. Uh, or like I said, I knew there was the one take, supposedly, that uh, didn't make the record. Uh, but I'd never heard that. I'd never come across a bootleg that had it. And then all of a sudden, more Blood, More Tracks comes out, and they've got all these versions. And so there's a there's a bunch of different ones. Uh, there's There's the one that I kind of think of as almost like a Woody Guthrie take where he's singing it a little, like he's got a little bit of that Woody Guthrie twang that he had in the, in the 60 or early sixties. Then there's which, a sort of, which, which uh, take is that? Oh God, which, which <laughs> I forget which one they're called. There they're, are so many. Yeah, there's so <laughs> many. And they're all just numbered four, three, two. Then there was like a Dixieland kind of band one. That's more again, I'm butchering it. But the, the, the one that completely floored me is take five. Yeah. Which is the slow one. Yeah, And one of the things, having spent all these years with Blood on the Tracks and knowing that there were alternate versions of Tangled Up in Blue and Idiot Wind and all the, you know, and then had heard them on the Bootleg series and I had never heard any alternate versions of Lonesome, I was like, well, there's clearly just one way to do this song, right? That's the version that's on the record. That's the way you do it. And there's, there's no way you can improve upon it. Well... Okay, <laughs> because uh, I, I got to take five, the slow one, yeah. and it completely floored me. I mean, completely floored me to the point right. where my eyes started to well up. Yeah. And I am not that way. Yeah. But 
that virgin. I am. I, I cry easily. <laughs> oh, it, okay. it, it is. It is gr- gut wrenching the way that yeah. blood on the tracks is. Like if you're going through a breakup and you, you know, the best way to get through it, I think, is blood on the tracks. You know, and it's that that maybe he didn't want to put that that's that slower version on because he wanted some some levity to the album. By the way, yeah. it's the fourth track on on the sampler of blood on more blood more track uh-huh. so like if you didn't go spring yeah. for the whole thing you get it and you get it right away i sprung for the whole thing of course <laughs> yeah <I did>. <laughs> <laughs> okay well i'm glad all right i'm glad I, I mean that's the version that if you go to um, bob dylan's youtube channel that's the version <laughs> that they pulled and they put it made a video for was this take five mm-hmm. so obviously they knew this is the one and i uh, completely agree henry like this version would not have worked as well on the record because it wouldn't have as much contrast as to the songs before and after it. But at the same time, like, so guy, like, can you, you got, can you either one of you articulate why this version is so good? I haven't been able to come up with it. Like what, what is it about this one? What this, the original version, the original, the album version is three minutes. This one is almost six and you would, and it's, there's no lyrical changes. It's all the yeah. same song. You would think, well, why would you? How would you're just making it twice as long? Why is that good? But yet, every time I hear it, I just am floored by it. What is it about this version that's so transcendent? I I've not been able to f- quite figure it out. I, I have a few thoughts on that. I think the tempo, for one, the slow, the slowness of it, and I I feel I think he's doing something a bit different in the with the the chord changes so i noticed on some of these so some of them are in the key of e using that open tuning that henry mentioned but this one um is in g and i don't think he's using the open tuning and and it just seems like the the band is kind of and dylan are like playing together more on this one because if you listen to like the the first four it seems like Dylan and the drummer are clashing on the rhythm. It's like Bob's being being insistent about his rhythm guitar pattern and it's not matching up with the, what the drummer is doing. So it's kind of like at this point, they kind of like meet some common ground, I feel like. But it's interesting because they end up going back to sort of what they did on take one and take two for the for the album version, but the vocal is great too. I don't remember if I said that, but it's the vocal is amazing too. Are, are, are all, are all the takes of this song from New York? I know the one they used on the album is from New York, but like, which was odd, but did they yes. do, did they do this song at all in Minnesota? No, no they don't. I looked mm. at Bjorner.com mm-hmm. with the, uh, yeah, with um, all of the recording session info and they do not, attempt to do it again in Minneapolis. Hmm. So I feel like he, he was happy with what he did. You know, hmm. he dismissed the band. He had a uh, deliverance. Right. The, right. The deliverance band. I, I can't remember his name. Eric, <laughs> Eric Weisberg. Eric Weisberg. Yeah, he yeah, yeah, him yeah. all to go and just told the bass player, Tony Brown to stay. Mm-hmm. And I, I think he knew he, he nailed that one. It's, it's so interesting. I mean, that's such a whole, that's like a whole other thing, but it's interesting that they took that, with him, I, I mean, I think I'm glad, Marshall, that you were able to put a, a finger on it, you know, on Rob's question, because 
to me, it's just ineffable. It's one of those things. Like, it's the same question as why is, what is it about blood on the tracks that's so good? Why does it, Mm -hmm. it it just, it hits you in the feels. It's just, it's, you know, heartache and (laughs) Bob Dylan. They just, there's nothing better than it musically. And it just, it, it gets you in your, the Yiddish word is kishkis. It's like right in your gut. Um, (laughs) By the way, Rob, you, you on your episode fifty six where you talked about this, you used the word chutzpah very well. So I was I was really impressed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> it was yeah. the, it was the chutzpah of I forget what you said of his brother of uh, oh yeah yeah oh, of yeah, his yeah. brother saying you know yeah. that New York band <laughs> yeah <laughs> great masterpiece Bob but I think you could yeah. do better yeah wow yeah. all right okay mom David's picking <laughs> on me again okay all right all right I just I with one of the things that I've one of the reasons I love this guy the way I do the work the way I do and is that he keeps coming up with versions of things. He keeps upending my opinion about a particular song where I feel like that's nailed down where mm-hmm. I go, okay, these are my views on this song. And those are nothing is ever going to be done better than this way. I'm hearing it. And then he, then he does that. I always like, I always love the fast forever young more than the slow one. I always have. And I'm always like, no, I always want to hear that fast. That's that's the, that's the version my kids know as Forever Young. They right. Don't, they don't they, when they when I try to play the slow one, they, they don't like it. Right. But then <laughs> he goes on David Letterman in 1993 and does a slow version, and I go, wow, that was beautiful. You know, it's like it, it just so it, good. And yeah. the fact that he keeps being able to do it, I don't know why I even am surprised anymore that he's still able to do it. Because it's like, how many times is he going to do it before you just realize he's just going to keep doing it? Stop, stop trying to like almost write him off like he's not going to do it again. But I just, I love the album take of this song so much because it is so jaunty. It is so kind of whistling past the graveyard kind of thing. Like the tone of the vocal is so fun and light despite the lyrics being sad about, you know, he's entered into yet another relationship and he knows he's already seeing that this thing is going to end before it's even ended. Like that's how effed up this guy's head is, is that he can't even enjoy the thing that he's in without immediately get jumping to, well, it's going to end anyway. So, you know, I might as well start thinking about how lonesome I'm going to be like, dude, just enjoy, you know, Whoa, slow down. Um, and I always <laughs> just thought, there was some the, the the tension of the sad lyrics versus the jaunty upbeat tune i thought worked perfectly because it's like he's trying to hide how in pain he is with the vocal and there's that tension that i love and then i so i was like that's the way you do that song and then i just i was not expecting this version where that vocal of his is so startlingly perfect and just the way he rolls the words, he stretches them out. I mean, he's in flight, you know, when he does the, uh, you know, situation, especially when it builds to this crescendo with the situations have ended sad, relationships involved in bad, mine are like Verlaine's and Rambo, but there's no way I can compare all them scenes to this affair. You're going to make me lonesome when you go. And it's, it's like the song seems to be like, expand, like expanding out as I'm listening to it. Like it's getting bigger and bigger and his vocal is getting bigger in a way it's not louder he's not shrieking it but it's the song is like expanding in my ears and i'm hearing it and it's just i just get like oh my god i can't wrap my head around that this version has been sitting in a vault for 45 years (laughs) and i yeah i I just can't 
the, 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 the elasticity of this material that you could do this song four completely different ways and they all work in their own sort of way. I just, I'm just like this guy, man. It just never ends with this guy. It just never does. It just, you know? I know it's, it's interesting. I mean, more blood on and more, more blood, more tracks for me is, is, is like, is weird because it's all I ever wanted in life. And when I got it, it was too much. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, it, the, I remember just after every bootleg, be like, please, the next one be Blood on the Tapes. You know, I had that bootleg of, you know, the New York sessions. I was like, please, I just want more Blood on the Tapes. And it was exhausting getting through this. Like, I've never gone back, with the exception of this, to prepare for this episode. I've, I've never really gone back and gone through it all because it's just too much, you know. And the way, the way it's, like, stacked with all of the versions all in a row it's it's yeah. it's 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 like it's just a lot um to listen to and especially this song where you get all eight of them in a row including the 57 second one it's in many ways it's it's unnecessary but it's like eating ice cream all the time you know <laughs> <laughs> and so but at the same time i love it so much like i can't believe we have this like it like you said there's just the elasticity there's so much and there's more and then just when you think there that's over then there's more of that and so it's just for me i don't know i don't know how you guys feel about more blood on more more blood more tracks i don't have the whole thing but it was overwhelming for me just to listen to all the versions of this song which i (laughs) got off itunes and i i think there's actually 12 there's there's like i think you're right there's like eight in a row but then on disc three and disc four i think there's like a few more right yeah that was overwhelming but I, I kind of like made myself sit down and listen to all of them and take notes. And it was ended up being like really rewarding for me. But that, but like you said, it's just like too much. You can't do that for every single song and give that kind of attention to it. You know, like who right. has time to do that? Right. I just kind of like wanted to listen to blood on the tracks after. And just, <laughs> yeah. you know. oh, but there is, there was a record store release uh, record store day release a few years ago of the uh, the the New York sessions. I don't know really? That. Yeah. There's an official release of that. Yeah, it was um it, it was basically the um the the pressing the the test pressing what came out on the original test pressing of the New York sessions that that Dylan got for approval from Columbia. And uh, yeah, if you can find that, that's really good. Uh, yes, I will find that. Yeah, yeah, I didn't I, know that I either. I got that on vinyl a few years ago when it came out, and that's that's awesome. Is is it only on vinyl? I'm not sure. Wow. Sure. Oh, my goodness. I, Amazing. I think we talked about this on whatever. I might have been the simple twist of fate. I don't know. It's there's a lot of wonder under the bridge. Uh, of mm-hmm. that, like as a lot a, of other as, stuff too. A lot of other stuff too. As a, <laughs> as a, as, a, as a creative person, the idea that he had so many versions of all these songs in his head and that they were all mostly they were all they all had stuff to recommend them you know i almost can get a brand new appreciation of the amount of focus he had to have to just be able to pare it all down i mean i could almost see that like i know that you know um you know studio time is not unlimited you know the clock is running and it costs money 
but he's Bob Dylan, you know, Columbia records is never going to be like, Hey Bob, get the hell out of there. You know, we, we, you know, I mean, it, he, I'm sure he can record as much as he wants to, but just, I can almost see like it being just overwhelming that you're like, I don't even know where, I, how do I even begin to pare all this down? Like you were talking about Henry, like I do find more blood on track because I bought the deluxe version, like overwhelming. Like it's almost, I can't listen to all of this because there's just too much to consider. I need it more, you know, I need it more pared down. And again, you know, both of you guys are musicians. Like, have you guys dealt with that where you come up with something and it's like, well, there's 17 different ways to do this. And at a certain point, I'm not even going to move forward because I can't, I can't decide when there's that many, if there's one version or maybe one and an alternate, then you, you know, okay. But when you've got, I, when I, again, when I listen to like the four different versions that are all valid of you're going to make me lonesome. I'm like, how do you even know at a certain point? You're like, I don't even know anymore. How do I, I don't know. I don't know how you even do it. I mean, yeah, for me, like when you're, if you're trying to write a song or something like that, and it, it can become paralyzing with just the amount of, of choices you have to make. Like, do I do it like this? Or do I go, you know, should I go to this chord or go to that chord? So I don't know what I've tried to make myself do is just, really just get one way done, <laughs> you know, like not worry too much about the other, other options. It's like put kind of get tunnel vision <laughs> going and just get something done. And then after that, you can, you can change it once you have like a complete draft or something, you know? Yeah. I mean, for me, not, I mean, I'm a, I'm an amateur musician, so I, you know, I play for fun and, maybe here and there and the very few songs I've written, I've, you know, maybe like a decision of like, should this be electric or should this be acoustic? But other than that, no, I mean, it's not for me personally, but um, yeah, I don't, I don't tend to get bogged down in that in like the decision-making, but um, I, I, it's hard enough. The creation is hard enough for me. It's which I think speaks to truly masterful artists like Bob Dylan, where it's not just, the material it's the crafting of the material into a presentable product like have you ever heard that um you know how on telltale signs there's that um minor version of tell old bill where he sings it in a minor key so there's a bootleg around there of like seven different versions of that song of him just yeah. in the studio yep. and you hear him in the studio and rob i think we even talked about this once before where he says okay, we'll try it in a minor. And the band just does it, right? Which isn't easy to do. It's like modulate down to a minor if if you're playing in a major key. And Bob just does it. And it's Mm -hmm. amazing. So so amazing that they put it on, in my opinion, like the best bootleg series. But Mm -hmm. um, so, so, you know, even just that kind of thing where Bob's just able to have a different idea of something, do it masterfully, and then decide, no, it's not, that's not quite, good enough you know only bob can do that yeah this i've heard the one you're talking about and it it might i've got something in my head where he says maybe we should just change everything about it change the, <laughs> change yeah the, you know change everything about it and it might be that cut or, or i think you're right telltale signs yeah. yeah and he just tells tony the key like you know yeah e flat minor some weird key or something and they just yeah you know. <laughs> 
Yeah. I do wonder if you're in his band. I mean, you know, playing with him, I'm sure, is a pleasure because it's if you're a musician, who better do you want to play with than Bob Dylan? At the same time, you probably want to go home at yeah. a certain point, you know? So it's like you've recorded, you know, three completely great versions of a song and the Bob's like, hey, let's change it all up. You got to be like, I got a movie, Bob. I got I think about that all the time. That like haunts me is like the the fantasy of being in Bob's band, but also the terror of it. Like even just watching those videos on Twitter of him at the beginning part of the second leg of the tour of him just being clearly unhappy with someone in the band. And I was, I was there once when Stu Kimball, he basically told Stu Kimball to get off stage, like stuff like that. Yeah. Oh Lord. Yeah. It was crazy. It was in Chicago in, I, I think it was, it might've been a Halloween show in 2009. Um, yeah. And he like, he like made a motion and then Stu just like stood off to the side during, you know, when he was doing like, like a Rolling Stone and Thunder on the Mountain and all along the Watchtower at the end that those, you know, that area, that time period. And like Stu came back for Watchtower, I think, or came back for whatever the last one was, but he like, exiled him for a song so like oh my god there's that part of it so you have to both be like a complete master musician know in bob's entire canon know all folk folk blues and rock canon yeah and <laughs> and be willing to be completely selfless you know there was that period of time also where he was like wasn't letting anyone do solos right like um yeah. the the po- really the, not on this tour Right, not so much. Like he'll let, like at the end, he kind of lets. Uh, what's the new the new guitarist? Not not. Doug, char- Doug, yeah, uh, can't remember his name. Lancio. There you go. He like lets him have a solo on like one of those last songs. I can't remember, but but yeah, no, I remember like the. I, I remember thinking like, is Charlie Sexton bored? Like he's <laughs> Charlie fucking Sexton. Like he's one of the greatest, you know, rockabilly blues texas guitarist of all you know and he's been playing with bob for years and bob used to let him do and he's just like there noodling or and kneeling (laughs) occasionally and flipping his hair you know and (laughs) so i i know we've gotten off topic a little bit but i think that is to say rob that it's sort of all of the above you know you have to just kind of accept everything about bob and be game for it and if you're not goodbye yeah, I guess so. Yeah. I mean, again, you know, it's, it's his name is going to be on it. And he's obviously the final arbiter of whatever gets on the record. Obviously. I mean, again, there's been, you know, the Daniel Lenoir has talked about begging him to use certain songs and Bob's like, Nope, you know, and they're even though that, Oh, it's great. Nope, nope, nope. But I also do wonder like, you know, Bob does Bob, you know, and maybe he was like this at a certain point. Isn't that way now or vice versa, or it changes because people do change over time. But you got to wonder, like, how much does he want to hear from people? Uh, because I, like, after that version on Take 5, of the Take 5 version of, of You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome, like, I if, I if I was in the room when I heard that, I would be like, how is that not going to go on the record? <laughs> I, I, I'm sorry, Bob. I mean, it's, that, that, that vocal you just did just makes me cry. It's yeah. so powerful. And yet, and, and then, you know, but does he want to hear that? I don't know. He might be, you know, I mean, maybe if you're Eric Weisberg, you know, and you're kind of a hired hand, he doesn't want to hear that. But I mean, does he want to hear that from Ellen Bernstein, who was kind of helping him put the record together in certain ways? I mean, we, they, they, in the, you know, I read one thing at one point where they were making Bundle the tricks, Mick Jagger came by. 
Oh, really? Yeah. Like that's fun. Does Mick Jagger want to? Does, does Mick? Yeah. Do, you know, hey, Bob. You know, this is my awful. Well, those Jagger, guys, but, you know, are in so you know, but the Beatles and the Stones, you know, they revere him. You yeah. know, they they probably just wanted to see the masterwork. But I, but I mean, um, you know, think about like Rob and Marshall, <laughs> Blind Willie McTell is a on an official right. record. Right. Like, yep. Are you kidding me? Yep. <laughs> There's so many cases of that. Yeah. <laughs> You know, you could swap up to me out with many, you know, with any, you know, I, I would yeah, take up to yeah. me over Lily Rosemary. I, it's just like the one skip song for me for, <gasps> for whatever reason. I can't, I know, I know, blast me. I just, I, I find that it, one's grown on me. I find I it annoying. I just like, yeah, yeah. Or, or desire, abandon love and golden room. Yeah. There's many, many examples. Yeah. But my take, my take on that is that there's, there's places in there where the Bob's guitar is clashing rhythmically mm-hmm. with the with the rhythm section. Now, what does that mean? As a, as a dummy who doesn't know anything about music, what I mean, does that mean, Marshall? He's he's off rhythm. Yeah, he's basically. not playing oh, with okay. the rhythm. Yeah, like the bass and the drums are holding down a steady rhythm that yeah. Rob Bob prescribed, and he's not with them. Yeah, and it's almost like he's being defiant, like right. and and like. <laughs> And he's like, Bob, no, really? stop. Like, I'm, I've listened to my guitar rhythm. And he's like purposefully going against them. And I hear that like all throughout the, yeah. like all the, what is it? Takes, I don't know, maybe like one through six, something <laughs> yeah. like that. And, 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 you know, like he stops them after like a minute. Like he's like, no, mm-hmm. you know, there's several I, examples yeah. of that where he just stops. Well, you know, like, being very aggressive with his right. rhythm guitar playing and he's clashing with the, with the, with the band. Well, it's sort of like he hadn't found yet his way of running a band. Like, you know, just to come back to his live version, like that band, they play a song exactly the way they're supposed to play it. It seems like yeah. to me, and he's just going to sing and plunk away. However, whatever he wants and they just yeah. have to play it. And he, yeah. so like, it's, I feel like he hadn't figured that out yet. And maybe that's why he's cherry picked people over the years. And like Tony has stuck with him for over 20 years that like he, he, he finally was able to get that thing where like you play it and I'm going to do my thing. And like, maybe when he was back playing acoustic guitar, like he couldn't, maybe he couldn't just hang with any old band. He had to cherry pick bands. I don't know. You know, yeah, but if you think about like his, you know, with the band, you don't hear that kind of stuff like on the basement tapes or even like. Mm. But maybe, but that wasn't work. You know, that's a jam, right? Right. But like maybe like with like in a studio in a stiff New York studio, coming off of you know a horrible breakup and a period that's like a little weird for Bob, right? Like he's coming out of this haze of domesticity right yeah. <laughs> and glasses wearing and short hair you know like it's just like <laughs> yes he, yeah. he's figuring he's finding himself again maybe he he was like you know and, and this is pre rolling thunder review so like he hadn't gotten back in the groove with the band yet with a band yet you know well he just come off tour 74 so he, right he, with the band out. who you know right, they right. and they probably just but yeah, yeah I think you're right. Like it's like he had, he knew he had something special, but he didn't know exactly mm-hmm. what it was. But he could feel that it wasn't right with that. And, and the Minnesota 
songs, the, the blood on the tracks, they're not perfect. There's a, some, there's a the little bit of imperfection on there. Like sure. sometimes the bass is too heavy. Sometimes, you know, the way he's playing his chords. Are, and, and that's, uh, I think, charming about it. It's one of the charms of it. It feels real. And like, he's, mm-hmm. he's mm-hmm. feeling something through those music and putting that feeling out there. And maybe, maybe that's why it was better, but maybe his brother is onto something that like, you know, this, you're not meshing with this band, like come, come home and I'll set you up with some nice Midwest boys. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, I think at that point, what he played for his brother was mostly the stripped down stuff. With oh, uh-huh. After uh-huh. he dismissed the band, I think most of it was. Uh-huh. So Gob even knew it wasn't quite working. Yeah, right, 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 right. right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, as we we talked earlier about that, that they did not do this song in in Minnesota. So obviously, he knew, must have been happy with it. I do want like it feels like the jaunty version, the album version of Lonesome is partly there as a contrast to the Idiot Wind mm. version. But the Idiot Wind version that's on the record wasn't that's that was recorded in Minneapolis. So that was done later. So, I mean, obviously, uh, you know, again, he can reorganize the the record as he sees fit afterwards. But I, I, again, I always wonder about, does he, does he pick songs at a certain point because they fit better on the record as a contrast versus, you know, well, I guess we know with like Blind William McTeller photo, but he's willing to let great stuff go by if it doesn't fit the sort of unified field theory that he's got in his head on these records. Um, and so you could, you know, like I said, I, I can't in my head hear the idiot win that's on that record followed by take five of lonesome. <laughs> I, you know, those two, that, like, yeah. I feel like that wouldn't, and then too going much. In, yeah. And then going into Mimi in the morning, it would be just the sort of weird morass of like, well, that's a lot of okay. And now we're, but yet I still, I listened to it again today. Mm-hmm. I took the dog for a walk and I listened to all the versions I have. And I got to that one and I'm sitting there on the bench starting to get all like, <laughs> and I'm like, God, I hope nobody comes by the dog park here because you're like, what's wrong with this guy? He's so sad. Uh, and, and, you know, I, I, I've said this about other, uh, on other episodes we've done about on the track where when I got this record, I bought it in, you know, whenever when I was just getting into Bob. So it would have been like 90, 89, 90, 91. And, you know, I knew that the, this record is from 1975. And yet, so I knew intellectually that, you know, this, this this is an artifact that's been around almost as long as I am, I've been, but yet it feels like he wrote it for me because mm. there's little bits and pieces where, I mean, and, and, you know, we, um, he mentions earlier, uh, when we talked about the, um, you, where it says, Oh, we have the purple clover, queen Anne lace, crimson hair across your face. And then in the, the last verse the I'll look for you in old Honolulu, San Francisco, Ashtabula, which again, one of the great, bullshit rhymes of all time to you know rhyme honolulu with ashtabula <laughs> i love it's not, it it's uh, not honolulu so it's, Ash, it's honolulu <laughs> but it's but again it's so audacious the rhyme that you chuckle at it and you're like you good on you bob but i can remember <laughs> i can remember listening to this song this album in 94 95 where i was going through really rough heartbreak and i remember mm. driving out to visit a friend in Ohio around this time. And I got to this song right at the moment, quite literally, I got into Ohio and I passed the sign that said Ashtabula. And wow. it just, yeah. And it, you know, cool. I knew, and, and I didn't plan it that way. I didn't time yeah. it out or anything. I'm like some weirdo that's like, all right, if I start driving at 60 miles an hour, I'll get to Ashtabula. 
you know, I mean, it just came up and I just, it, it sent me like a shiver down my spine because it just felt mm-hmm. like, wow, this guy is reaching forward in time 20 <laughs> years to plug this into my head, even though I know intellectually that's not possible, but it feels real. And kind of what we were talking a little bit about this before we got on air, uh, Marshall, was that like, you know, the, the songs on this record that are the most lauded, Tangled Up in Blue, one of the great songs ever recorded, period. But like, this is not one of the most like renowned songs in his canon outside of people that are diehard fans. Uh, right. But the fact that it's like, I always feel like this is my own like weird private discovery or something. Cause yeah. I appreciate it. It's That's like, what I was know, saying at the beginning. Yeah, yeah. I thought like I had found a deep cut that no one yeah. knew about. Yeah. yeah. Which is totally. absurd. You know? <laughs> <laughs> right. absurd. But yet it feels though. Cause it just, and, and you know, we were talking about uh, again earlier, like this has not been performed live hardly at all. It's been only played live. 12 times on the rolling thunder on the rolling thunder tour and that was it it has never been played live since 1976 now there is a 1977 tour rehearsal with backup singers yes Um, i love that you do i love it that's great wait like a budokan ish type version a little bit yeah yeah it's uh it's rehearsals for that tour i think so with oh run down rehearsals from you guys uh, send that clip to me i would love to hear that yes definitely what did you like about that marshall because i would say that i feel like the backup singers just don't mesh with that song well (laughs) i i mean i love the chord changes i love how he yeah i love the i love the what he did with the chord changes and how that brought about uh um different different melody it's it's kind of like he keeps the structure of the chord changes similar but he they add these like diminished passing chords that 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 give it a lot of interest for me and um yeah i don't know i'm i'm a, I'm a big fan of that one you i like would love back- to hear it the only time I, i've ever like you know, it's on dylancords.info. It, it says rundown rehearsal version, 1978. And yep. yeah, there's all these minors in it. It's in C sharp minor, which is like the weirdest chord or key to play something in. But I've never heard it. So yeah, definitely send that along. Yeah, it. it's, it's a very, yeah. I just hear When do the, the backup singers sing? Like, what are they, what are they doing? They're like ooh and aahing in the background. <laughs> it seems very uh, odd to me. Uh, I, again, it's, and the versions on the Rolling Thunder tour are, are I think fine. I don't love them. It, it's it's yeah. jaunty. It sounds like Rolling Thundery. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Um, and to me, it doesn't have that. It, it it doesn't have that slight patina of heartbreak right. that the that the album version does. And that to me, that's what gives it its grit. Now, it has been covered quite a bit. Um, there were a couple I wanted to mention. First of all, just a couple shows ago, we mentioned Mary Lou Lord, uh, and here she is showing up again. She's got a cover of this song, which is really quite pretty. Um, and then there's one by Miley Cyrus, which appears, oh my God. Uh, appears on the, the Chimes of Freedom, the Amnesty International collection. And I really like that version. I yeah. think it's terrific. I, um, I, I did like a, I don't remember, it was back in 2012. It was, I don't know what it was for, but I, I did like a little review of like a three or four sentence review of every single track on that. Cause it, fe- it seemed important at the time that, that compilation, that out al- that tribute album and this is what I wrote about the you're going to make me lonesome when you go over Miley Cyrus. I cannot believe I'm saying the following words. I loved this. I did a double take when I looked up and saw that it was Miley Cyrus. I'm glad I was listening before I, I saw that because I might have gone in with a bad attitude. This is one of my favorite Dylan songs, and I never thought of it 
as a country song. It works perfectly, and she really does have a great voice. Hannah Montana is growing up, and that's pretty cool. <laughs> and, you know, and this was before, like, Miley Cyrus. I, I realized how awesome she was. You know, this was, like, in 2012. I'm like, ugh, Hannah Montana, you know, like... <laughs> Yeah. But she nails that version. It's so good. And the video is really fun, too. She's just in the studio with mm-hmm. the, the guitarist. And, yeah, I love that version. I, I really appreciated that that was a song that, that was the song she chose to do. You know, I was mm-hmm. like, wow, that's a – I feel like that shows a, you know, kind of like real taste to say, oh, no, no, I'm going to go do this one. Oh, she uh, has good taste, yeah. Yeah, sure. yeah. I just thought that was – I just thought it was really, really terrific. I said it's just a – I never tire of it, you know, I just never tire of it. And now that I have this alternate version that I love kind of just as much, it's again, like you were saying, it's almost sort of exhausting because now I got, now I got to pick which one (laughs) I want to listen to at any given point when I didn't have to worry about that before. But my God, it's just, even something as simple, I'm doing air quotes, simple as this song seems to be the fact that there can be, four or five complete <laughs> alternate versions, all of which have something to recommend. Uh, again, just seems, it, it's just startling to me. And again, I don't know why it is anymore. Cause it, 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 I just stopped being, I just stopped being shocked that this guy has this stuff in the vaults piled up that, Oh yeah, no, here's this other, and just to think that there was other records that we that have not gotten this treatment yet. Uh, it's just unbelievable. You know? Um, just, why do you think he ha- I mean, I, I've asked you this before. Why do you think he hasn't done this live if he did do it live? Like he did it for, you know, 12 straight shows or whatever in the seventies. Why of all, like, I don't know. It seems like a perfectly good band song. Is it just not relevant to him anymore? Or I wonder. obviously we don't know, but like, I'm curious what you guys think. If it's true about the Ellen Bernstein thing, like I wonder if it's too personal and he doesn't, Mm. put that out there anymore mm. oh my third cousin once removed ellen bernstein no just kidding <laughs> <laughs> you gotta, if that was true henry like, get her on the show come on we're gonna do it. <laughs> yeah i mean like, you gotta wonder if like he just hasn't lo- like at some point for some songs he loses the emotional connection to it yeah. and therefore it's just not you know like okay it's just not relevant right. anymore and so we're like covenant woman you know, it's like such a gorgeous song, but it's uh, the the woman that he presumably wrote it about. It wasn't in his life anymore. And I wonder if he, but then you say, yeah, but he's, you know, Tangled Up in Blue is about a, you know what I mean? <laughs> you right. No, but that's so also Tangled Up in do, Blue. Though. You're not going to hear him do Sarah live. No, no. Certainly <laughs> right. Not, so. right. Exactly. Yeah. But yeah. I, like I said, it's just, it's every, I buy these sets. Uh, and sometimes I splurge for the deluxe ones like I did for more blood, more tracks. And I feel like in every bootleg series, no matter how much, how expensive it is and how much I bitch, that's like, oh, this is a lot of money. There's something in there that I just am not prepared for, right. you know, that I'm just totally not ready for. And I go, well, all right, that is now firmly lodged in the canon of the great Dylan performances. And it's not something it's it's now my life plus this song when my <laughs> life did not have that song, you know, four and a half minutes ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, and like I said, it's just, it, I, again, and I do think it's just one of his um, most beautiful vocal performances. And again, just the, the, just this, the, that, again, that marvelous tension of just the sort of sadness of like, yeah, this is going to, going to wrap this up. This is, this is, this is fun, but it's going to end badly because they all do. Uh, like Verlaine and Rambo, like okay, mm-hmm. like God, good Lord, man, to like lighten up a little bit. 
Um, <laughs> I mean, it's just, like you said, the guy is just, it's like, I think of Pete Townsend in an interview called him quantum once. He said, he's just quantum. And I feel like that's a good <laughs> word for him. You know, it's just like, you know, like it's just like, it's such a huge, huge figure. I can't even remember. Ant-Man 3, Quantumanium, starring exactly. Paul Rudd and Bob Dylan. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Exactly. Perfect. So, uh, before we wrap up here, guys, is there anything we want to say about this song before we, before we move on? I just love it so much. I just, it, it, I'm, I was so pleased to get your, you know, anytime you ask me to come on, I'm, I'm so honored and, and pleased. And, and if it's a song from blood on the tracks, all the more so. And if it's a song that just, I just, I love so much. Like I said, like I, I could cry just thinking about how much I love it. It, mm. it yeah, that's, I would, one thing I would, add is that uh he rewrote the lyrics for this for the mondo scripto exhibition oh yeah 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 and if you haven't checked out the rewritten lyrics for that they're definitely worthwhile i mean some of them are silly but there's some some (laughs) great, great lines in there like uh I see things inside my mind, the things Milton saw after he went blind. <laughs> <laughs> he never stops with this guy. Ne- it just never stops. It's just, it's just uh, it's unreal. So, okay. Uh, before we wrap up here, guys, I have to ask you both uh, have not been on the show since I started uh, changing up the, the follow-up question, the exit interview, as mm. it were. So, Marshall, I'll start with you. Uh, if What record, one? if there's one single record that you could sit on the sessions on what, what record of Bob's would that be? Oh, wow. <laughs> I'd have to say the basement tapes, if that counts. Like I know that it all counts. Is, was Bob recording? Then it counts. Yeah. If that's not an official recording, I would love to be like, you know, in Woodstock at, you know, big pink and just being around with, you know, hanging out in the basement with, garth and and rick and mm-hmm. bob coming by and like just dogs lying around on the floor and <laughs> and uh yeah i think that would be the one for me it's a good answer henry oh yeah it has to be because and i there my re- I, I agree with marshall and the reason why is i would love to say Oh, Highway 61 Revisited, Blonde on Blonde, um, Blonde on the Track, you know, and all of my favorite albums, right? But there's something, now that we've seen all of like the unpacking of this with more blood, more tracks, things like that, the dump of all the versions, the tediousness, and it, it feels very stressful to sit in, to go to one of those sessions. And, you know, Bob, who's like, like, I would have loved to have been there when he's recording Modern Times or or Rough and Rowdy, but it's probably very tedious and very stressful because he's so particular and probably a little cranky. So yeah, I'd kind of want him in a house, you know, in a house in the woods with his buddies for sure. I mean, yeah, I gotta, I gotta go there. The only other one maybe would be freewheeling to just sit there and watch, watch this beautiful young man open up his heart and his genius to the world. That 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 was that would be like the only like official album other than uh, basement tapes. My second would be Nashville Skyline to Dakota. Oh, all those Nashville players. So I'm oh, sure. yeah, Cash comes in. And, yeah, that probably <laughs> yeah. was fun to do. That probably wasn't so stressful. Yeah, yeah, yeah that's a good one. Nice, Marshall. I like that. Go. 
That's good. Yeah. Uh, well, all right. How about you, Rob? Uh, I don't have to answer. This is my show, Henry. I don't have to answer that question. Um, so why don't uh, you guys, uh, Marshall, you start. Why don't you tell people where they can find you out on the internet? Uh, MarshallSidbury.com. And yeah, same name, you know, on, on social media and all that. All right. Henry? A um, couple different places. Uh, if you want to just talk Dylan on Twitter, um, part of the wonderful Dylan community on Twitter, uh, at Gonzo3249 or search Henry Bernstein and find me. Um, and I have a couple podcasts, um, which Rob has so graciously plugged before. Uh, uh, one is called Funny You Don't Look Jewish, which is um, looking for explicitly Jewish content in comic books, you know, superheroes like The Thing, Kitty Pride, things like that. Um, and I also do a podcast called Superman and Lois and Pals, which is um, just going episode by episode reviewing and talking about uh, the Superman and Lois show on the CW. That's Those are the places you can find me. All right. Sounds good, guys. But again, thank you both for coming back and talking about this song. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much, Rob. Thank you, Rob. Right. Very, very nice to talk with you, Henry. It's great. Yeah, you too, Marshall. Oh, I, I always feel whenever, Rob, whenever you have me on with another person, which I think has only happened once before, I feel like there, I've met another kindred Bob spirit. Yeah. You know, it's like the, the, the family just keeps growing and growing. You'd start some sort of like online dating service through Dylan fans <laughs> or something, you know? You'd Dylan do, fans. Do it that way. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, okay. Uh, as we're wrapping up here, there is one small announcement I want to make about this show. And that is, um, I'm not going to get into the details of why I've come to this conclusion because it, it's boring and who cares. Uh, but I have decided that, of course, as you know, as the show has gone on, I'm now into the, you know, 200 plus episodes. Uh, you know, as I talk to guests, and pr- prospective new guests, uh, we do. I'm not saying we're running out of songs to talk about because we're not. Bob still has a lot, you know, still hundreds of more we haven't gotten to yet. But the, you know, as the show goes on, more and more of the favorites are kind of sp- get spoken for because, of course, it's just the way it, way it works. And I have decided to reopen up uh, a lot of those earlier songs, specifically the songs from say around the first 75 episodes of the show. There's different reasons uh, for that. None of which have to do with the quality of my guests. I was very happy to have all of my guests for those shows and they all did remarkable uh, jobs of coming and talking about Dylan. Uh, But uh, I've decided that um, much like we did for this song, um, you know, Dylan's work changes and it morphs over time and your feelings about it can be different than they were just a couple of years ago. And as this show enters its sixth year, I realize, you know, sort of blocking off songs and saying, well, I talked about that song once six years ago. So therefore never again, seems a little silly. So um, going forward, I'm going to be open to rediscussing a lot of songs that we talked about in the initial, like I said, around 75 first episodes of the show. So uh, some of the songs that are kind of open for, Discussion again are things like Knocking on Heaven's Door, Buckets of Rain, Forever Young, All Along the Watchtower, Stuck Inside a Mobile, Changing of the Guards, Hurricane, Thunder on the Mountain, Foot of Pride, Idiot Wind. There's a lot of great material in there. Hell yeah. So, uh, Dibs on Thunder on the Mountain. (laughs) (laughs) I know I'm going to get a list from Henry of like 12 songs. Yeah, you are. That that list that I just said is going to be that sent to me by Henry. Uh, But no, I I just realized that 
uh, between, you know, my, my audio wasn't, I, you know, I will say, I, I will get into the little bit of the nitty gritty of it. I dug into an old Pod Dylan related recording I did a bunch of years ago and uh, the audio was, was pretty rough. And that was back when I was using a really crappy microphone and I was kind of wincing of like, Oh man, this doesn't sound, I don't know how much I'd be thrilled to present this again because I don't like how it sounds. And I feel like, well, I, you know, I was doing the best I could with the equipment I had back then, but I've learned a lot since then. And so I'm just like, well, you know, again, it's like, you know, I covered knocking on heaven's door on the first episode of this show six years ago. And it just feels a little silly to say, well, I'm never going to bring it up again. That's what, the, <laughs> what are you talking about? It's knocking on heaven's door. So yeah. Um, you know, I mean, some things I think have been covered extensively. There are some songs I think we kind of really nailed it and probably doesn't need to be done again. But, uh, but I, you know, going forward, uh, if you want to be on the show and you want to talk about a certain song, uh, the fact that it's been covered before is no longer, a reason not to discuss it. So if there is something you want to talk about that we've already done before, pitch it to me and uh, who knows, we might do it again. So that is uh, that's the sort of announcement that I'm making for the show. Going Would you say Rob, that it's uh, it's because things have changed? <laughs> that's, yes. Uh, so, I mean, I started to think about this show and I'm like, well, it's not dark yet, but it's getting there. Like, no, <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that idea. I, I, there's lots more to say about these songs. And then part of it was this episode was that was inspired that I was like, well, geez, I felt like that was when we did the show in what what did you say, Henry? It was like 2018 or 17. I did it. Yeah. 2018. It was right at the beginning of 2018. 2018. It's four years ago. And well, I've learned a lot. So (laughs) the song has changed in the four years. Now, some of these songs, we don't have new versions, but foot of pride. You know, mm. that's another one that when I covered it, I only knew the one version. And now there's mm. like, what, 10 of them? <laughs> you know? So, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, going forward, uh, I love doing Pod Dylan and I want to keep it going as long as I can. And so I think part of it would be to uh, inject a little more n- new life into it. So, you know, there's always new guests that are showing up and I'm so grateful for anyone who is nice enough to come on the show and, and do this with me. And I want to give everybody the opportunity to talk about a song they love and you know will i end up repeating myself in some ways yeah but i do that anyway so what's the difference um so, <laughs> so does yeah. bob so does bob right exactly so yeah if there's a song out there that you've always wanted to discuss but you saw it on the list and we're like well it's already been done well you know what you could pitch it to me and we'll we'll see how we do so that's the announcement going forward for uh, for pot dylan so uh as always you could find back episodes all the back episodes of the show on our website findwaterpodcast.com you can subscribe to the show on any podcatcher of your choice. And then finally, if you want to support the Fine Water Podcast Network, go to patreon.com slash fwpodcast, and there you can unlock various rewards, one of which is to be named checked on a show of your choice. So big thanks to Robert Ward, Steve Cronin, Max Hutzel, George Doherty, Joaquin Meckel, Paul Ruther, and Superman's pal Henry Bernstein for their support <laughs> of Pod. <Dylan laughs> Thank you. Very much appreciated. So that's going to do it. Thanks, everybody, for listening, and we will see you later. Bye. Our next guest is one of the most popular singers of her generation and on the new CD, Chimes of Freedom, the 50th anniversary of Amnesty International. She's honoring one of the greatest songwriters of all time here to perform a Bob Dylan classic. Please welcome Miley Cyrus. (laughs) 